Welcome to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. This is Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr. People call me PG, and I'm so honored to lead this amazing ministry that is really trying hard to glorify God. Listen, thank you for tuning in. Matter of fact, go to our website, tbcaugusta.org. You can find out about all the wonderful things that we're trying to accomplish for the kingdom of God at our church. Matter of fact, you can also give through Secure Give, Giveify. We pray that you will partner with us as we once again do all that God calls us to be. Well, let's get into that word and that experience. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. God bless you. On a Sunday morning, is that good news today? Is that good news today? Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may take your seats in the house of the Lord. Good morning, Tabernacle. Good morning, good morning. Amen. Isn't it good news to know that God has an all-sufficient grace? Because we do know that it's grace that enables us to endure whatever it is we have to go through in life. Amen. We're grateful for the Lord's grace and mercy, which always supplies us with sufficient strength. Good morning, Tabernacle. Oh, come on, let's do that one more time. Good morning, Tabernacle. It's good to see you on this blessed morning. Uh, Y'all know it's, it, it's hot today, uh, but, but I'm grateful that the Lord is in the house, amen, with the cooling breeze of the Holy Spirit. We give the Lord praise. Uh, won't you help me celebrate your pastor, Reverend Dr. Charles Goodman? Oh, come on, where I'm from, we stand up for good leadership. Yeah, come yeah, on yeah. and celebrate the Reverend Dr. Charles Goodman, Jr. We, we celebrate his vision, his commitment to excellence, and we're excited that not only is this Kingdom Living Sunday, but this is the year of being fruitful, amen? We're grateful for fruitfulness in ministry. Our prayers that God may bless you and that God may keep you in this season. Amen, amen. Before we go to our scripture for this morning, it is family day, isn't it? It's Kingdom Living Day. And we have our parents, uh, my husband's parents, my wonderful in-laws in the in the sanctuary. I'm going to ask them to stand, Doctors Jetty and Shelby, uh, Jetty Burnett and Shelby Wilkes. Um, they are here. Uh, they drove from Atlanta to be with us this morning. We're so happy to have them with us. And then we've got a friend of our family, Reverend Sean Patrick Torres, is somewhere in the sanctuary. Uh, Rev, stand up for us. Amen. We're so good, glad to see you. One of our good friends uh, from his time at Union, uh, we were in New York together, and he travels the country preaching. And so we're just delighted to have some family in here on family day. Amen. Amen. There is a word from the Lord. Um, if it is your custom, please stand. Um, we will be reading this morning um, from two passages within the book of Genesis. Uh, so we, you don't have long to flip this morning. It's early, so we're going to keep you right in Genesis. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 42, verses 21 through 25. And then we will jump to Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. Genesis 42, verse 21. If you have it, say, I got it. If you're still flipping, say, wait on me. I hear more I got it than wait on me. So let's go ahead and read the word of the Lord this morning. Then they started talking among themselves. Now we're paying for what we did to our brother. We saw how terrified he was when he was begging us for mercy. We wouldn't listen to him and now we're the ones in trouble. But Reuben broke in, didn't I tell you don't hurt the boy? But no, you wouldn't listen. And now we're paying for this murder. Joseph has been using an interpreter, so they didn't know that Joseph was understanding every word. Joseph turned away from them and cried. When he was able to speak again, he took Simeon and had him tied up, making a prisoner of him while they all watched jump over to Genesis chapter 50. 
Joseph replied, verse 19, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see? You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, some other translations say what you meant for evil. God turns it around for my good. Come on and pray with me real quick. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we pray that you would meet us in this preaching moment. Hide us behind the cross. Let the people not see us, but let them indeed see Jesus. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. And as you do so, won't you help us announce our title this morning? Won't you turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, love is stronger than pride. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, love is stronger than pride. You know, there's a great song that starts off this way. It says, I won't pretend that I intend to stop living. I see somebody bearing witness already. I won't pretend uh, that I'm good at forgiving. Uh, but the song goes on to say, but I can't hate you, although I have tried. And then the hum goes, mm-hmm. I still really, really love you uh, because love is somehow stronger than pride. The, the, the song says, I still really, really love you again. And then it comes with that classic timeless, hmm. If you know it, just hum along with it. It goes, mm-hmm. I still really, really love you because love is somehow stronger and more robust than pride. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, that great psalmist, Sister Sade, was on to something when she tried to tell us that love has a way of being stronger than pride. It suggests that it's possible to love someone so much that you're willing to risk what folks think. Love has the capacity to inspire us to go the extra mile. Am I talking to somebody? And to take the additional step. Love has the capacity to get you to give somebody one more chance simply because they're the one posing the question. Love has the capacity to inspire sacrifice because it's greater than pride. And when we pivot into our text this morning, we find a Joseph who loves his brothers so much, somebody shout so much, that he's willing to sacrifice and lay down his pride. In the Genesis chapter of the 42nd, uh, in the 42nd chapter of Genesis, we essentially find Joseph, uh, who's the boss. He's the man, he's the, the second one in command. We find Joseph, who's the ruler. Uh, and this is not uh, the Joseph, right, that we meet in the earlier part of Genesis. Uh, most of us may be familiar with Joseph the dreamer, right? Uh, we're familiar with Joseph as the one who's adorned with the coat of many colors. Uh, your translation might say that Joseph uh, walked around with a richly ornamented coat. We're familiar with Joseph uh, from Sunday school lessons, right, as the one who was left in the pit for dead, right? Joseph is the one who was alone and isolated and abandoned. We're familiar with that Joseph. Uh, we're familiar with the Joseph uh, who was tricked, right? Uh, the Joseph who was lied on, imprisoned, and left for dead. But here in our passage, we see Joseph at a different juncture and at a different stage in his journey. So when Joseph gets his elevation in chapter 42, I can only imagine that he is a man 
who doesn't want to live those struggle years anymore. Anybody know about the struggle years? You know those years where it was hard for you to make point A to point B? Some of you might still be in those years, but I would gather that you might have had some years behind you that were harder than the year that you're in right now. So I can imagine that Joseph is a man who wants to leave the past in the past. But while he's living his best life, while he's out here trying to do what he's called to, his past shows up right on his doorstep. That's where we find Joseph in our passage for this morning. He looks up and his estranged brothers are there. The same brothers that sold him into slavery. The same brothers that lied and told his daddy that he was dead. The same brothers are now in his presence, but this time those brothers want something. This time those brothers are in need. This time a divine reversal is about to take place. And this is what I love about the book of Genesis. Genesis is a book of beginnings. The beginning of the world. The beginning of the new world after the flood. The beginning of the nation of Israel. The beginning of Egyptian oppression. The beginning of Jacob being reborn as Israel. The beginning of Joseph's rocky family relationships and the re-beginning of those relationships by divine grace and reconciliation. Why is Genesis good news, you may ask? It's good news because it tells us that we serve a God who specializes in new beginnings. Come on and take 30 seconds and thank God for the ability to get some new beginnings in your life because Genesis reminds us that it's possible to begin again. It's possible that by grace and reconciliation we can start over again. That's good news today that God is not a one-time miracle who starts life and then sits on the sidelines. No, God remains engaged with us. God remains there long enough to help us repair some broken relationships. God remains in our lives long enough to help us heal from trauma that we've experienced in our families. It helps us to reconnect with estranged kinfolks when God is still in our lives. It's good news to have a reconnecting God. It's good news to keep company with God of repair and resilience. Come on and celebrate a God of new beginnings. Come on and celebrate a God that can help you start your life over again. And so when we first meet Joseph in the beginning of his narrative in Genesis chapter 37, you see you got to go to Sunday school a little bit to get Joseph's life under your belt because you can't preach it all at one time. But we meet Joseph in Genesis 37 as a 17-year-old boy. We meet Joseph as a boy who's beloved by his father. We meet Joseph who's got a crew of brothers who are jealous of him. I'm not making it up. The Bible actually says that his brothers hated him and harbored jealousy over him. But by the time we get to our passage for this morning, by the time we reach chapter 42, Joseph has made it against all odds. By the time we get to 42, by all accounts, he's extremely successful. By the time we get to chapter 30, 42, he's about 30 years old now. He's second in command in Egypt. He's made it where he is, but he's made it without his family. He's gotten there without dealing with the hurt that his family caused him in his past. Yeah. 
and yet it was his dreams that made him successful. Y'all stay with me. The same thing that gets him nearly killed by his brothers is the very thing that gets him out of prison. The same thing that almost got him left for dead by his brothers is the vehicle that God uses to save his entire family. The same thing that God put in his spirit 13 years ago shows up and saves his entire family. And let me pause here real quick. How many of us have pushed past hardship to pursue our own dreams? How many of us have made something out of nothing? You know, black folks, we good at making something out of nothing. How many of us have pers persevered against all odds, but we've ignored the family hurt that we experienced along the way? We've ignored the stories that we come from. Yeah. We've pushed to the backs of our minds what we went through to become who we have become. But like Joseph, our past has a way of catching up with us. Be careful, because sometimes our history has a way of catching up with our destiny. Be careful, because sometimes where we've been has a way of undermining where we're trying to go. Be careful, because sometimes the rearview mirror has a way of uh, diminishing what you want to see as you're moving ahead in life. So let's, let's peer a bit more closely into the text in chapter 42. Verse 21, it says, now we're paying for what we did to our brother, and we saw how terrified he was when he was begging us for mercy. We wouldn't listen to him, and now we're the ones in trouble. And so Reuben hops in, didn't I tell y'all don't hurt the boy? But no, y'all didn't want to listen. And now here we are paying for this murder. And so the first point we want to make about pride is that family hurt, somebody shout family hurt, family hurt. never goes away on its own. Sometimes it's said that time heals all wounds, but though that's easy to roll off the lips, it's not quite true, is it? Somebody say family hurt, family hurt. never goes away on its own. It doesn't just disappear because the days go by. Family hurt doesn't just diminish because time is unfolding. Doesn't matter how much you try to, to push it out. Family hurt has a way of, of staying there if we don't deal with it closely and examine it and bathe it in prayer. Look at the text. The moment the brothers experience hardship, they blame it on this horrific act that they did against their brother because try as they might, they couldn't submerge the memory. They couldn't suppress what they had done to their brother. Family hurt, if we're not careful, has a way of sticking with us. But what we love about the Joseph story is that it's a story of divine reversal. Joseph's narrative reveals a God who can take someone who's underestimated and make them an overcomer. Do I have a witness this morning? Joseph's story reveals that God can take somebody who's last and reposition them to become first. Joseph's story takes somebody who we might think is the tale and presume wrongly that that's all they'll be and Joseph's story shows us that God can take them and bring them to becoming the head. Joseph's story teaches us that a perfect life is not a requirement for divine destiny. Joseph's story teaches us that you don't have the perfect conditions in order for God to do something wonderful and beautiful with your life. Joseph's story teaches us that God can work with the materials of your life as you are where you are and do something spectacular and do something marvelous and do something gorgeous with your life because God's creative genius doesn't need perfect conditions to work perfectly. 
perfect outcomes. Am I talking to somebody who surveys the landscape of your life and thinks you don't have enough to do what it is that God is calling you to do, but God has enough engineering ingenuity to take your materials, to take your life and work something gorgeous, work something glorious, work something grand because our God is an awesome God, because our God is great and greatly to be praised. It may take patience, but there's grace for that. It may take prayer, but there's grace for that. It may take endurance, but there's grace for that because God's engineering ingenuity with the details of our lives is sufficient. Somebody shout sufficient. Joseph's story permits us to talk honestly about the injuries and the wounds of family life. When we see Joseph's complex family history, we can realize that God isn't afraid, y'all, of the complexities of our own families. And not only is God not afraid, God is also not absent. Repeatedly, the text tells us that God was with Joseph. In hardship, God was with Joseph. In adversity, God was with Joseph. In mountaintop moments, God was with Joseph. In valley low moments, God was with Joseph. And the theme and the motif is repeated so that we can grasp its importance. Whatever your stage, whatever your setting, and by talking to somebody, whatever your season, God is with you just like God is with Joseph. Whatever your predicament, whatever your situation, God is with you just like God is with Joseph. Whatever your circumstance, Whatever your context, whatever your condition, God is with you just like God is with Joseph. Wherever you are, wherever you're trying to go, wherever you've been, God is with you just like God was with Joseph. Every household needs to know that God still specializes in new beginnings. Every household needs to know on this Family Living Sunday that how things went down doesn't have to last a lifetime. Every household needs to know that God can help you begin anew, dust the, uh, get rid of the dust of resentment off your shoulders and start with a renewed outlook and a renewed mind. The second thing we want to know about pride is that it has a way of breeding hatred and jealousy. Our passage illustrates, uh, y'all don't mind if I talk about this for a while, do you? Our passage illustrates the intense hatred and jealousy between Joseph and his siblings. And we have to be careful of hatred and jealousy, Tabernacle, because hatred and jealousy are not, uh, I'll let this one slide, emotions. Uh, hatred and jealousy are clench your fist kind of emotions. Hatred and jealousy are grit your teeth emotions. Hatred and jealousy are not things that you can repress. Hatred and jealousy are the kinds of um, uh, consolidated antipathy that has a way of causing harm, that has a way of causing wreckage to the ones you love. We have to be on guard and be vigilant against hatred and jealousy because it has a way of undoing decades of growth due to an impulse of misjudgment. Hatred and jealousy has a way of undoing all of the prayers and all of the, the, the hard love because you just couldn't exercise the requisite self-control and the discipline. Be on guard against hatred and jealousy because it can be an undertaker of healthy family life. What causes hatred and jealousy, you might wonder? A sense of uneven treatment. What causes hatred and jealousy? A feeling that the scales are unbalanced in your family life. What causes hatred and jealousy? A nagging conviction that we have been wronged and there is no remedy. Hatred and jealousy are not sentiments we can dismiss, 
but they're an urgent condition that we have to heal before somebody we love gets hurt. Hatred and jealousy, and my, and my bearing candid witness this morning, can set uncle against uncle. Hatred and jealousy can set cousin against cousin. Hatred and jealousy can set spouse against spouse. Hatred and jealousy can set cousin against cousin. Hatred and jealousy can bring a sword of division instead of bringing a balm and healing. Hatred and jealousy be on guard because they're the twin foes that can kill and undermine family life. And for a time in our passage, it seemed that that would always be the case with Joseph. Be on guard. Somebody shout, Lord have mercy. Shall Lord have mercy. Because if we're honest, we can see too much of ourselves in this passage of Scripture. And y'all, we always give the brothers a hard time, but the Bible says that their father loved Joseph more than the rest of the brothers. And I want to pause here for some parents in here today. I want to pause here for some children in here today. It's not right for you to treat one of your children better than the other children. It's not right for you to treat the gifted one different than the one that took a little bit longer to show that they're gifted too. Because how many of you know that children mirror what we put in them? If we believe them, then they can dream a little bit longer. If we tell them that they are capable, they believe it a little bit longer. If we get to them before the system gets to them, they believe they have the capacity to try. And so I'm not taking Jacob off the witness stand because Jacob, you're guilty too, my brother. And y'all, we gotta be careful on Kingdom Living Day to live like the kingdom. I'm so glad our Heavenly Father doesn't play favorites because if he played favorites, I would have been messed up a long time ago. I'm so glad he's got enough capacity. I'm so glad he's got enough love. I'm so glad he's got enough vision to see purpose in you, to see purpose in you, to see capacity in you, to see capacity in me, to see capacity in him. I'm so glad that our God doesn't play favorites. This jealousy and this hatred and this envy that causes the brothers to drop Joseph in a pit does not come from nowhere. And that's what happens, y'all, when folks become adults. I don't know how he got like that. I don't know how she's always been. No, she hasn't always been like that. Something happened in the house to make her feel that way about herself. Something happened in the house that made her feel less than. Something happened when she didn't get the coat that her brother got. Something happened when you didn't brag about her at work the way you bragged about the other child. Something happened. And if we're gonna be mature Christians in here, we can't just talk about family like everything's all well and good. Just because you come up in here looking good with your family doesn't necessarily mean that it's good in the house. And, and so we guess so we can say what we need to say and leave, right? So, so I'm going to say it right now because I know every church has it. Every church has families that get in the car and ride to this place together and go off to their own ministries separately and serve separately and go back into their own house together and jealousy and hatred and envy stay in that home because of what you say about each other outside of the home. And if you're not careful, what you say about each other in the side comments, 
What you say about each other and sarcasm and sarcasm gets into the psyche of your children, gets into the psyche of your spouse, gets into the psyche of your parents. And then 13 years later, you go find yourself having to confront the same person that you cast away. You're going to have to confront the same person that you said couldn't be nothing. And they're going to have to look at you and say, love is stronger than pride. I know it's a hard message this morning, but we got to deal with it. Scripture says in verse 24 of chapter 42, and we're on our way out, that Joseph turned away from them and cried. Scripture says when he saw his brothers, and it had been so long, he had grown from a boy to a man, they didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know who he was. But he saw them, and it says that with all the power he had, second in command with all the servants he had, second in command with all the success he had, when he saw them, he turned away and cried. And then don't miss the next part of that passage. It says, and when he was able to, he spoke to Simeon. Don't miss that. When he was able to, he spoke to Simeon. That's what's wrong with some of us today. We don't give ourselves permission to cry. We don't give ourselves permission to deal with the hurt that exists in our lives. Just because you got a good bank account, just because you got a good title, just because you got a good name, just because some folks respect you now, it does not mean that you dealt with the stuff that you had to push through to get to where you are. And I'm going to stay right here because, y'all, we got to take some time to cry a little bit every now and again. When we are able, we can go back to the folks that hurt us. When we are able, we can really give a real a, a real bout of forgiveness. When we are able, we can accept the apology coming our way, but you gotta cry for as long as you need to cry. You gotta mourn for as long as you need to mourn. Mourn that divorce as long as you need to mourn it. Long that, mourn that broken relationship as long as you need to mourn it. Most of us are so full of pride that we won't allow ourselves to feel. We actually punish ourselves for stuff other folks did to us. We, we actually tell ourselves we gotta be imprisoned and act like nothing has gone wrong. We gotta act like we got a perfect family life. We gotta act like we're keeping up with the Joneses. We gotta act like everything is all right. And that pride, because we don't want folks to know that our homes are broken, that pride keeps us from actually experiencing love. But beloved, God is in your house. God is in the house of your family. God is in the house of your siblings. God is in the house of your parents. And y'all, God isn't absent even when God's presence isn't apparent. I'm going to say that again. God is not absent even when God's presence isn't apparent. Divine presence doesn't require divine conditions. Divine presence doesn't require divine conditions. Because here's the reality. 
Divine presence can't require perfect conditions because there are no perfect conditions. There are no perfect families. There are no perfect households. There are no perfect situations. So if you need a perfect situation to trust a perfect God, then you're going to be waiting a long time. But I have news for you today, good news, that Joseph shows us that even when your family situation is messed up, even when you get left for dead, even when folks turn their back on you, God is still with you. God is still with you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And reconciliation is possible. Come on, we're closing. But somebody shout, reconciliation is possible. Reconciliation is possible. Come on, would you give God some praise for reconciliation? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're grateful. What we're simply trying to say is, in the spirit of biblical scholar Will Gaffney, what happens right here is one of the tenderest moments in all of Scripture. And what we want to encourage you with is that tenderness can be your norm. You may not be accustomed to it, but tenderness can be the default position. It may feel a little awkward. It may feel uncomfortable. It may require strain, but tenderness and kindness can be the norm. It can be the instinctive response is what I'm trying to get across. Tenderness and kindness that chooses reconciliation over revenge, reconciliation over resentment. Am I talking to anybody this morning? That can be the position from which you live. That can be in your emotional repertoire. That can be how you want to bless folk and respond to folks. Tenderness and kindness can be how we show up in this space. What we're simply trying to argue is that dysfunction, when it happens in our family, does not not, I say does not have to make us dysfunctional. Consider the family history of Joseph. He didn't necessarily grow up with tenderness in his home, right? Joseph's father was a trickster, was he not? Uh, he was trying to trick uh, from the womb, if we read the text. Am I, am I talking correctly? Joseph uh, did not necessarily grow up with an immediate model of tenderness. And not only did he not grow up with tenderness, but he had brothers that hated him, right? He had brothers that were jealous of him, right? And not only did they hate him, not only did they exhibit jealousy, but they also sought to enslave him for profit. And yet, when the crucial moment of choice arises, we see Joseph opting for forgiveness instead of allowing uh, uh, coarseness to fortify in his spirit. When the crucial moment of choice arises, and he could have uh, brought the lash of holding a grudge against his family, he, instead of holding a grudge, chooses to make space for healing, chooses to make space for wholeness. And isn't it powerful when we may have uh, perhaps a right to hold on to the grudge, but we instead choose to opt for the Jesus way, right? We instead choose to opt for the way that Joseph gives to us. And we move towards healing. We move towards wholeness. We move towards the kind word that can turn away wrath instead of the coarse word that causes disagreement. Instead of the coarse word that sows up discord. Joseph, in other words, is a blueprint, y'all, for families desiring reconciliation. Joseph is uh, uh, our possibility model for showing us that reconciliation can be your choice. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Joseph is our possibility model who shows us what it looks like to choose to disrupt the dysfunction. Joseph shows us what it looks like to opt for healing. And that's why I love chapter 50. Verse 19, where the Bible says that Joseph says to his brothers, don't you see you planned evil against me? 
But God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, it was for my good. I, when I read it, I hear, in other words, I don't have to live in this pride because we good over here. In my sanctified imagination, Joseph says, God used those same plans for my good. As you can see, we're good over here. And every now and again, you have to tell your past, we good over here. Every now and again, you have to look at the aspects of your past and say, that's all right, we good over here. Every now and again, you gotta look at the folks who did you dirty and say you tried to trap me, but we good over here. You gotta look at them and say you tried to sell me out, but we good over here. You lied on me, but we good over here. You left me for dead, but we good over here. And I still love you, cause love is stronger than pride. I still love you. I cried my last tear long ago. Like Mary said, I cried my last tear long ago. I'm good over here because God kept me. I'm good over here because God kept you too. I'm good over here because God kept us. And the same God who kept me is the same God who kept you. So apparently, I can't hate on you. Though I tried to hate you, I still really, really love you. Because love is stronger than pride. And we serve a God of love. We serve a God of new beginnings. We serve a God of reconciliation. So the next time your family shows up in your face after they left you for dead, after they lied on you, after they thought you wouldn't make it, just tell them it's all right. We good over here because my God is able to provide for every need. We good over here because even though you left me, God didn't leave me. We good say it till you feel it we good over here we good over here because no weapon formed against me no weapon formed against your family shall be able to prosper we good over here because eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard nor has it entered into our hearts what God has prepared I said what God has prepared for those who love God and are called according to his purpose it appears that this thing can work out for the good of those who love God because the Bible says all things somebody shout all things all things work together for those who love God and are called 
to God's good purpose. We good over here. Why? Because the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, do I have a witness, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. There's glory in your family. There's glory in your genealogy. I said there's glory in your genealogy. God is doing a mighty thing. God is doing a magnificent thing. God is doing a miraculous thing. There's glory in your genealogy. And there's fortitude in your family tree. Come on, we good over here. Celebrate God. We good, we good, we good, we good. Come on, clap like you're good. Clap like you're preserved. Clap like you made it. Clap like you're still alive. Clap like God knew what God was doing. Clap like God saved you and your family. Clap like God got you right and your brother's right and your daddy right and your mama right. We good. Somebody shout, we good. We good. We good. Everybody standing all over the building. We, we, we want to be clear about this point. All over the building stand. We're good over here, not because of our own inherent goodness. We're good over here because of the unchangeable, invariable, always can count on the goodness of God. Do I have a witness, anybody? We are good. We are of good courage because God is good. Amen. Uh, we have uh, a confidence in goodness that's not based and anchored in ourselves predominantly, but our goodness stems from a God who's always good. Somebody put your hands together for a God who's always good. Hallelujah. That's why we're good over here. Hallelujah. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. Don't forget, go by our website, tvcaugusta.org, there to see all that we got going on. And also, I thank you in advance for your benevolence and your gift that helps us promote the kingdom of God. Listen, I want to see you come back. Check us out later. Love you much. Take care. Peace.